and welcome to the Nutrition by Samantha podcast. I'm your host, Samantha, nutritionist who is on a mission to cut through the nutrition confusion and help you become the healthiest version of you. In this podcast, you'll find expert advice on all things binge and emotional eating, sustainable fat loss, sports nutrition, and all things in between. I hope you leave each episode inspired and empowered to make smarter eating choices. Now, let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome back to another episode. I am so looking forward to this episode. We are chatting about binge eating. What is it? How does it happen? How do we stop binge eating? I also will give you my recommendations for today. I'm actually really looking to this recommend looking forward to this recommendation because it's something a little bit different to what I've usually done. And also we'll be starting off by talking about a study. It's not a recent study. It is well researched, but I wanted to chat about it anyway, because I think it's important. But before we get into today's episode, a bit about me and my weekend. So obviously the AFL grand final was on. My God, what a flipping boring game that was. So I think I watched like a quarter of it and then I'm like, not even a quarter. And then I'm like, oh, this is boring. I'm out. And I don't think I watched the rest of it at all. But before we went out to, sorry, before we watched the footy at home, we went out to a brewery here in Torquay called Bell's Beach Brewery. And after we had a drinky poos there, as we're walking out, I don't know if you know, if you're in Victoria, everyone knows this area of Torquay about where all the surf shops are. And you go down the side laneway and there's all the discount shops. So that's where Bell's Beach Brewery is. And as we're walking out, we see the Gander discount store. And we're with my husband's friend and his girlfriend. And his girlfriend's like, oh, can I quickly look into Gander and just see what the sales are? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. So we went over and there were scooters out the front and I'm like oh my god how fun so I was like playing on the scooter while she was looking around in the shops yes I'm that special person where like everyone's looking for clothes I'm like I'm gonna play on this scooter so I'm just like riding up and down the the road with the scooter and I'm like that was actually really fun I've actually never ridden a scooter before anyway and I was looking at it I'm like oh my god they're only $20 so usually $110 and they were down to $20 I'm like I have to buy a scooter the most impulsive purchase, but I have already got my money's worth. Going from the front door to the kitchen on a scooter, so much time saved. <laughs> no, but seriously, I'm actually thinking I might ride it down to the beach if it's busy or go to the shops. This is what I'm saying. Whether it actually happens is a whole other story. At the moment, we're just riding it up and down the house. <laughs> but it's so pretty, this scooter. I need to take a photo if you're interested. It's just the prettiest scooter. It's pink and it has these flowers on it. Amazing. Best purchase I have ever made. Not really, but it is a really good purchase for $20. Got a scooter. That is cool. Anyway, so yes, I got a scooter and that was obviously way more exciting than the AFL. And on Sunday, I had my first, not my first, it's my second surfing lesson, but the first one in this surf camp that I'm doing. So it's every week for six weeks for two hours, I practice surfing. And my goal for the end of the six weeks is to be able to paddle myself and then stand up on my own as well. At the moment, I can kind of stand up on my own, but I can't paddle and catch the wave and then stand up at the same time. So that's my goal for the six weeks. And I know it'll probably take me longer to achieve it. I'm not too sure. I'm one of those people, I don't say this in a negative way about myself. It's just reality. I am a slow learner. It takes me a while to learn things and um, implement them at the same time. Like 
I need someone with me to like to teach me like one on one to be able to learn quicker. I, like as I struggle learning things really quickly, but I know over time it's I'm going to get better and better and better. It just is going to take me longer than I think the average person to learn to surf. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to to learning, and I just want it to be this really fun hobby that I have that I do because all I do really is just you know work. And I sleep and I eat and I go to the toilet and then I work and then I sleep and eat and I go to the toilet. Sometimes put an exercise <laughs> routine in there. But I wanted a hobby. I don't have a hobby. So this is going to be my hobby if I can master it and get really good at it. I don't need to get really good at it. I just need enough to have fun and to be able to stand up and actually feel like I've stood up on a wave. But I'm looking forward already. I've been hanging out for this Sunday coming. I'm like, oh, I just want to get back in the water again because I don't have a surfboard or a wetsuit. So if I can get, if I get to the end of the six weeks, I'm like, yeah, I'm killing it. Then I'll purchase the surfboard and wetsuit from there and I will practice on my own. But I am loving it at the moment. I just, yeah, I think it's so fun and it looks really cool too, doesn't it? Yes. Well, that's it about me. I wanted to talk about this study that didn't come out this week. It came out forever ago, but it's about blood pressure and how to reduce our blood pressure. So if you or somebody you know has high blood pressure, this could be the little nugget you can take away to give to your friend that has high blood pressure or for yourself. So this study found that omega-3 essential fatty acids, EPA and DHA have been shown in clinical trials to lower blood pressure. So researchers concluded that this dose response meta-analysis, which is just like a combined analysis of a heap of studies, demonstrated that the optimal combined intake of omega-3 fatty acids for blood pressure alone is between 2 to 3 grams per day. Doses of omega-3 fatty acids intake above the 3 grams may be associated with additional benefits in lowering your blood pressure among groups at high risk for cardiovascular disease. So... If you have high blood pressure and you need to reduce that blood pressure, if you're finding you can't control it through diet, you can't control it through either lowering your alcohol intake or salt intake, I would recommend purchasing some fish oil supplements, some omega-3 fatty acids, have 2 to 3 grams a day, and it should help with lowering your blood pressure. If you don't have high blood pressure, I still highly recommend fish oil supplements for a lot of my clients, especially the ones that don't eat any fish or any of the healthy fatty acids like salmon, like that really fatty fish that are high in the omega-3s because fish oil supplements are really good for joint health and your bone health. So especially if you're training with weights and in high intensity weight training, I would recommend taking some fish oil supplements. It also supports healthy skin. If you're pregnant, you should definitely be taking a fish oil supplement. So fish oil has been known to improve baby's brain health and eye health. And with brain health, there have been studies that have shown that the women who took fish oil supplements during their pregnancy, their children ended up having higher IQ and also had lower rates of autism and ADHD, which I think is super interesting. It also reduces inflammation. It improves ADHD in kids, and I'm sure it would in adults as well, and also improves your bone health. So if you don't eat much fish, 
and you want to improve any of these things, which I'm sure everyone does, <laughs> I would recommend taking a fish oil supplement. However, there are people who shouldn't be taking fish oil supplements. So if you're on blood thinners or any medication, it is highly advised to consult with your GP or healthcare professional before taking any supplements, just to double check it is safe for you to take. Even if you don't have any supplements, you're not on any supplements or anything, or taking any medication, still just as a precautionary, consult with your GP before taking any supplements. So that is my study that has come out that I have hasn't come out. I don't know why I keep saying that. That is a study that I wanted to talk about, which I think you'd find that interesting. All right, on to my recommendation for the week. It is not a food recommendation this week. It is an app recommendation. So I'm going to give you my four, I'm going to say must have apps if you are interested in health and fitness, which I assume you are if you're listening to this episode. So my number one app recommendation is my fitness pal. Now, I don't recommend everyone religiously track every single day because it can just get really tedious. It can get a bit obsessive and it's not necessary. However, if you are unsure of the calories in food or how much in general you're consuming in a day, Download my fitness pal and start tracking your food and just see how you go for a day or two. See what's coming up. See how much food you're eating. See what you need more of and what you need less of. And it can be a really great way to educate yourself and find out what macronutrients are in what foods or what calories are in what foods. Because there are sometimes I have clients and they're like, I didn't realize a packet of chips had that many calories. That so isn't worth that many calories. I'm like, I know. That's why I don't have a whole packet of chips. I have this little kids packet signs because it's not worth it you feel like shit afterwards and you're not even full so i recommend downloading my fitness pal i think that's a really great app to get started on just knowing on, on just knowing calorie awareness i think it's really interesting i don't recommend going off the calories that my fitness pal sets for you it's usually too low so don't worry so much about the calories on there unless you know the calorie intake that is best for you you can manually put that in but i wouldn't go off what my fitness pal says for calorie intake i would See someone like myself to get your calories and know how much you should be eating each day for the desired goal that you're after. Because I do think my fitness pal does it does set it too low. The second app I recommend is Interval Timer. I'm just gonna get my phone up now because this one I use all the time when I am exercising. Yeah, it's literally called Interval Timer and has a picture of a clock, like a grey clock on the app. That is such a good app for for doing circuits because I have clients that I sometimes write up exercise training programs for my clients and I sometimes put in, uh, what are they called, like circuits and people end up watching the clock for the seconds to train and then to rest. And no, that's just too much work. What I recommend is to download the Interval Timer app. It's free. And it's such an easy app to use. You just put amount of sets first and then you get your work interval and then your rest interval. So you just type all that in, press play, and it beeps when it's time to rest and beeps when it's time to work. And it will play in your headphones as well if you're listening to music. So amazing app to have. Circuits are a really great workout to get your heart rate up in a short amount of time and burn as many calories as possible in the in a short amount of time. Not that you should exercise purely for calories burnt, but if that is your goal or you're really focusing on fat burning, I would recommend circuits. 
And I would also recommend adding in some weights into your circuit as well. Anyway, that's just an awesome, awesome app to use. I love it. The next app I recommend is a step counter app. So something where you can track your steps for the day, whether that is through a watch that you're wearing or on your phone. So I use the, I think it's like the Samsung health app on my phone. So that tracks my steps. It's obviously not highly accurate because I don't carry my phone every time I get up and go for a walk to like the kitchen or whatever. So I am not ever a hundred percent sure how many steps I'm doing, but I in general use it for when I'm taking Ava for a walk just so I know how many steps I've done for the day. If I hit 10K steps, I think that's the greatest accomplishment ever for me because I sit on my butt all day, every day. So if I get 10K steps, that's crazy good for me. Uh, So yeah, I just think it's great to know how many steps you're doing. And you can just use that as a goal to try to improve on each week. So just say you do 3,000 steps a day on average for one week, maybe next week you try to get to 3,500 to 4,000 steps. Slowly try to improve your step count. A little bit different if you're already exercising and training. Obviously, it's not going to come up on your step counter. But if you're not and you and walking is the main source of activity you do, then it'd be good to track and try to improve on your step count. And my final app recommendation is called Chronometer. So Chronometer is a fantastic app. It also is a website. I actually don't think I use the app much. I use the website because I use it mostly for work. But if I have a client that is iron deficient and needs to improve their iron count, chronometer is a great way to know exactly how much iron you're getting in your day. So pretty much what it is, is it's a website where you can type in all your foods similar to MyFitnessPal, but it will tell you exactly how much of each nutrient you are getting into your diet. So it'd be a great way to see if there's any nutrients that you're missing out on, how much more of a certain food you need to be able to increase you know your iron levels or your magnesium levels your protein it, it tracks everything so pretty much every single vitamin mineral and nutrient is on this app and pretty much once it goes green it means you've hit the daily amount of that nutrient and if it's not green it means you need to have a bit more obviously every day you're not going to hit every single one you might but most of the time you probably won't but as long as majority of the days you are hitting it that's really great It is a bit of a tedious app to use because it is an American website, but it still has everything that you need that you can get from the supermarkets here. So yeah, that's another app. So there are my four app recommendations, my fitness pal, interval timer, step counter app, and chronometer. So I hope you found that helpful for today's recommendation. All right, let's get into the episode on binge eating. I think binge eating is probably the most common thing I end up talking about in my consultations because there are a few key factors that end up causing binge eating within my clients. Before we get started, I suppose we're going to talk about what the heck it is firstly. Now, binge eating is consuming a large amount of food in a short period of time. So there isn't a specific amount of food you need to hit to to be called a binge, but more so it's how you feel at the time. So for example, a binge for me might be eating five Tim Tams, but for you, it might be eating a packet of Tim Tams and then having cheesels and then have chocolate and then have cake. But it's sort of how you feel. So if you have five Tim Tams and you felt uncontrollable at that time of eating five Tim Tams, as in you couldn't stop, that is technically what is classified as a binge. So it's that feeling of being unable to stop and out of control. That is that feeling of 
binging that we're talking about. So there is objective binge eating and subjective binge eating. So there is a slight difference, but I sort of would look at the combined two to know if you have binged or not, but going through them. So objective binge eating would be you're eating unusually large amounts of foods in a short time frame. So what this usually looks like and is classified as a binge is about 2000 calories or more in under two hours. So that might sound like a lot to some or not a lot to some, but in general, that could be like a block of chocolate would be about 2000 calories. Like the family blocks of chocolate would be about 2000 calories. So you that's what the objective binge eating looks like. Whereas subjective binge eating, which is what I was just talking about before, is you're eating what you think is an excessive amount of food, but in reality, it's not objectively large. But you have that same sense of loss of control. So that sense of loss of control is there. So that's what's causing it to be a subjective binge eat because you were unable to control yourself. Like you couldn't just stop if you're like, yeah, I've had enough, I've stopped. It's that uncontrollable feeling. This might be less than 2000 calories. And what, what I was talking about before is if you had five Tim Tams and when you had those five Tim Tams, you physically couldn't stop yourself. You needed to eat more and more, but you felt uncontrollably and unable to stop. Then that is telling you that you kind of did binge, even though it technically technically wouldn't have been the 2000 calories that I spoke about before. Now, according to behavior research therapy, there's other characteristics of binge eating. So feeling like you're eating in quotation marks forbidden food. So that's like the usually high calorie or very palatable foods. Eating at a much quicker rate than you'd normally eat. Eating when you're not physically hungry. Feeling immense pleasure during a binge, but overwhelmed with immense guilt and shame afterwards. And feeling a sense of secrecy to your behavior and you'll go great lengths to hide it. I think it's really important to know the difference between binge eating and overeating because frequently I have clients say, oh, I had a binge on the weekend and they tell me what they had and I'm like, it's not really a binge. Like you've said, like, you know, you could have stopped yourself or whatever. It just sounds like you just overate. So overeating would look like having an extra serving of dinner or having a few extra squares of chocolate, or having a bigger portioned meal. It's not the feeling of being uncontrollable, but you can still feel that immense guilt afterwards, but it's not technically binge eating because you had that sense of control. It was just simply overeating and eating a bigger portion. So there's some questions you can ask yourself to know whether it is binge eating or overeating. So... Did you consume amounts of food that you or others might describe as excessive? So obviously everyone overeats every now and then. We all know after we consume a large meal, we feel uncomfortably full. But for those that have binged, the consumption of unusually large amounts of food happens at least once a week or more. The next is, do you experience a loss of control while eating? So that's what I was talking about with like the zoned out feeling of being uncontrollable and the inability to stop eating. Whereas if you're overeating, the decision about how much to eat are conscious decisions rather than unconscious. The next question to ask yourself is, are you eating more quickly than normal? Do you experience physical pain after you eat from being painfully full? Overeating usually stops before your body gets to that pain point. 
The next is, are you eating in secrecy? So often people that are binging will experience their binges alone and they may hide food or purchase it directly before the binge occurs. And the secrecy is usually related to strong feelings of embarrassment. And overeating may help may happen while dining out or in company of others. So that's when I find I probably I overeat the most would be just out out with other people and you're talking and whatnot. You're not really focused on your food and you, you're not really being mindful. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I've overeaten. I'm so full. If you've overeaten, you may experience some guilt, but not the high levels of mental anguish, anxiety, or depression that's probably commonly seen among those that have binged. So that's a pretty much a wrap of what binge eating is and how to recognize it. But the way I work with my clients is more so on what's causing it, because I think that's really important to address what's actually causing it, what's happening, and then try to come up with ways to prevent this from happening in the future. Now, there are so many different causes that could potentially be causing it, such as genetics, low self-esteem, putting too much value on your weight and shape, and also mental health conditions like depression, anxiety, and stress. However, the two main reasons I see clients binge eating and then able to stop binge eating is from dealing with the restrictions. So if you've been dieting for a long time, restriction might just might seem like a normal thing to do, whether that's intentional or unintentional. And also the emotional eating side of things too, which could cause you to binge. So I'm going to talk about those two things as they're relevant to my clients and to what I see. Now, the first thing I would see is restriction. So whether they're intentionally restricting their food, so they're like, I'm not going to eat junk food. I don't want to eat carbohydrates. I just want to eat really, really strict. And they do this for maybe two days or three days or maybe a week if they push out to a week. And then all of a sudden they just completely binge on those foods that they think are banned from their diet. So all of a sudden they're like, I need all the chocolate. I need all the cakes. I need croissants. I need everything. And they just completely binge and ruin all that restrictive work that they did during the week. Now, if you are intentionally restricting your food, I want you to ask yourself, what is the reason for restricting your food intake? What is your purpose? What are your goals and what do you want to achieve? Because if your goal is weight loss and you're being really restrictive on your eating, you're not having any carbohydrates, any sweets, and you just want to eat as strictly as possible, but then you end up binging, but then your weight doesn't come off at all, it's not really achieving your goal. Instead, what I love to show my clients is how to incorporate all food groups, incorporate fun foods into their diet so that they don't feel the need to have to binge. They can have peace throughout the day, knowing that they're going to have something sweet later or that they can have carbohydrates and they're not going to feel so hangry and actually feel satisfied after their meal. So I challenge you over the next week, if this is you, to incorporate some more fun foods throughout the day. So maybe challenge yourself to have a piece of toast with your morning omelette. Challenge yourself to maybe add some rice into your salad or to have a piece of toast with some tuna on top as a snack. Challenge yourself to have potatoes with your dinner or to have an ice cream for dessert. Challenge yourself with something. See how you go. I think by slowly incorporating these little challenges, you will be able to find yourself binging less and feeling like you have more control over your diet because you're not feeling so restrictive. So give it a try, see how you go. 
remember, you don't have to be restrictive to see the goals that you want. I make sure my client tablets are balanced so that they can achieve their goals without feeling so deprived. And I want that for you too, if this is you. Then it's unintentional. Now I'm going to say that unintentional is probably the most common thing I see with clients that they're unintentionally restricting their food and then it's causing them to binge. Now, what this looks like is poor eating during the day. So they might not think it's poor eating or they might think they ate really well, but in reality, what it is is they they didn't eat well, they didn't reach their nutritional targets. So this might look like you wake up, you have a coffee, you have maybe Vegemite and butter on toast or a slice of cheese on toast. Then you get to work, you push out until lunch, you have a ham, cheese and tomato sandwich. You might have a piece of fruit. You get home and you are ravenous. You are looking for every single piece of food in your pantry because you are starving. It gets to dinner time and now you feel sick from eating all that junk food you just ate and you don't really feel like your dinner and you just end up picking at your dinner. This is probably the most common thing I see is not eating enough during the day and then binging in the afternoon. It's completely unintentional. They they don't think they're doing anything wrong. I mean, they're not doing anything wrong, but if it's causing you to binge once you get home, things need to change during the day. So if that sounded like you, what can you do moving forward? Well, if, if your breakfast sounded very similar to like butter Vegemite on toast or something like that, what you're having there is just carbohydrates. Nothing wrong with carbohydrates. I love it. I put it in all my clients' meal plans. I make sure they always eat carbs. But we want to pair that with something else because what you're having with just carbohydrates is you're going to get an insulin spike and then a crash. But with your breakfast, what we could do to prevent this from happening is adding in some more fats and some more protein. So instead of just having a slice of toast, let's add some protein or some fats to it. And this will help bulk up our meal, make us feel fuller for longer and prevent that insulin spike and crash. So what can we add on top instead of just butter and Vegemite? I'm sure we all know we can add some eggs on top. That would be a great thing to add on top. Another thing that is very strange, but I think it's really good. And one of my clients told me about it and I've just loved it ever since, but putting cottage cheese on top of toast and then mashing up some frozen berries and putting that on top too. Amazing. I know it sounds strange, but don't knock it till you try it. Okay. But that's another thing. So cottage cheese is high in protein, which is another great thing we can add on top of toast. We can even add some tuna on top. Another great high protein option. If I don't know, you're on the go, for example, and you can't really add some protein on top, at least add some fats. So things like avocado, a slice of cheese. If you're having a slice of cheese, I'd recommend having like two pieces of toast with two slices of cheese just to help bulk it up a bit more and make you feel a little bit fuller for longer. But avocado would be a great option to have on top that's easy to eat in the car. And then lunch. So just say you're having a ham, cheese, tomato sandwich for lunch, probably the most common thing I would see for lunch. The sliced ham is not enough protein in a sandwich. Simple as that, doesn't provide enough protein. So instead of having sliced ham, I'd like you to purchase shredded chicken instead. Add some more vegetables into your salad sandwich, into your sandwich as well. So it could be like, add some spinach, tomato, carrot, add, bulk it up more, add a slice of cheese, bulk up the meal so it keeps you fuller for longer and it is more nutritionally balanced. We can even scramble up some eggs if you're veggie. That could be a great option to add into your sandwich. 
Then if you're having a piece of fruit in the Arvo, again, fruit is perfect. And I always recommend to have at least two serves of fruit a day, but it's not enough for a snack. I do think you need to pair it with something else. So instead of just having fruit, have it with a Chobani yogurt or have it with some popcorn or some cheese and crackers or what else? Some hard boiled eggs. Bulk it up more because with the fruit, you're just having the carbohydrates. You're not adding any of the other protein or fats into it to help balance it out a little bit more and make it more filling. That's what we want with our snacks. We want to feel full until our next meal. And what I'd recommend then is to have your two snacks in between both meals. I really do recommend that because I just find it helps tie you over until your next meal. For example, me, right before I started this podcast, I actually sat in and thought, okay, what are my hunger levels like right now? And how am I going to feel after I finish recording this? I was sitting down like, oh, I could probably push out until I finish my podcast. And I'm like, hmm. I might feel really hungry and if anyone knows me, I am the worst hangry person you will ever meet. Everyone always says, yeah, me too, me too, but I seriously take it to a new level to the point where my sister warned her new boyfriend about me when I get hungry because that's how outrageous I get and this is what would also cause me to binge when I get to that point, but I'm working on it and before I sat down for this, I thought, "Mm, how am I feeling? How am I feeling? I'm just going to have my morning snack now because it is currently 11.30 a.m. And I started recording this at about 11-ish. Yeah, so I had my snack and I'm like, okay, cool. That should tie me over till I finish and then I can have my lunch and happy days and no hangry Sammy. That is unideal. (laughs) But think about it. Like if you're going, if you're having your brekkie at 8 a.m. and then your lunch is at 12, that is like four hours between your meals. That's a long time. I'll definitely recommend having some sort of snack in between to help tie you over until your next meal. Because also, if you are just having a, a sandwich, that's also not just going to fill you, it's not going to fill you up enough if it's that ham, cheese, tomato sandwich. You need to bulk that up a little bit more. And if you're not having that snack, I doubt after that sandwich, you're going to be still hungry. And you don't even realize you're hungry because you're busy at work and you're not focusing on your hunger and fullness cues. You're just working away and you're not thinking about it. Then you get to your afternoon, you're having your snack and then you're still not thinking about it and you're just working away and you're busy and you're distracted. Then you get home from work and all your stress of work has obviously come out of your life because you're home now. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm going to pass out if I don't eat now. And that's when you end up looking for everything in the pantry and need to eat everything before you have dinner because you're so damn hungry. Try to prevent yourself to get into that point. Have bigger meals, have proper snacks. Stop between, stop during your work day to actually have your meals as well. If you're someone that works through their lunch break, stop. You've got to stop and have your lunch. You'll be so much more productive in your work if you stop and have lunch. Have your snacks in between as well, whether you need to eat at your desk just have a snack in between. There's so many things you can eat at your desk. If your manager or boss allows it, I think it should be fine though. Just tell them your nutritionist, Samantha, said you should eat at your desk. <laughs> Not your main meal, but your snacks would be okay to have at your desk. <laughs> but yeah, make sure you're eating enough so that by the time you get home, you're not like ravenous and like, oh, I'm all right. I can wait till my dinner because I'm feeling good. Another tip I would have for those that are you know, working is to have your afternoon snack on your way home from work so that once you get home, you're not 
ravenous and starving because you've just had a snack on your way home and then it'll tie you over until dinner so that's another recommendation I could have is to to have a snack ready to go on your way home so you're not starving once you get home and like I said this is completely unintentional and I know people aren't doing this thinking I'm gonna lose weight or it's gonna be the best thing for me they do it just because that's just what they've always done but it's not helping them with their health long term. All of a sudden they're gaining weight and they're like, I don't even understand how I'm gaining weight. I eat, I barely eat food. But the thing is you are eating food because you're eating so little during the day, you're making up for it in the afternoon. And that's what's causing you to put on weight. Even though you think I barely eat food, I hear this all the time, I barely eat, I barely eat anything, I don't understand why I'm putting on weight. But when we go through what their current diet's like, all of a sudden we're seeing that these little things are adding up for you, causing causing you to overeat. It's super frustrating when you don't realize it, but I'd love for you to sit down and think about what your diet looks like in a given day. Because if you're finding during the day you aren't really eating, then you get home and you are eating, you're probably forgetting about that part where you come home and you binge and you're just remembering the part where you barely ate during the day and you all of a sudden your weight's going up each week and you're like oh my god how is this happening very annoying but that's just yeah that's probably what is what is causing it if you find you don't really eat much that's probably what's causing your your weight gain now the next part is the emotional eating side of it that's causing you to binge and this one is I suppose best to work with a psychologist at the same time however with my clients I do give recommendations on how to help with emotional eating. However, please note, I'm not a psychologist. So these are just really basic recommendations. So what is emotional eating? It's pretty much eating when you're feeling stressed, depressed, anxious, overwhelmed, bored, happy, any sort of emotion that you're feeling, you use food to comfort you and make you feel better. Now, if you are someone that relies on food every single time an emotion hits, this is when you need to look at other coping mechanisms to help with this. If it's just once in a blue moon you use food to help cope with stress, anxiety, overwhelm, whatever it is, not so much of a bad thing unless you feel like it's taking over your life, then it's best to to deal with. But if it's just here and there, not a huge deal, as in like it's not not a huge thing that's taking over your life, then it's probably not so bad because we all use food to help with our emotions, whether we're happy, celebrating a promotion, celebrating something, or we're really stressed and one time in a blue moon you ate more chocolate than what you'd usually eat because you're so stressed, but it doesn't really happen that often, then not so much of a big deal. But if you're finding every single time something comes up in your life that's causing you stress, overwhelm, making you feel sad, and you're relying on food to help with that, I really recommend looking at other coping mechanisms to help with that. Because I know it's probably making you gain weight, making you feel terrible about yourself. And I know it's something you probably want to change and want to feel in control of. And it is something I see quite often with clients. So my recommendations for those with emotional eating is to first identify the emotion that is causing it. If it's one particular emotion or all emotions, identifying what these emotions are. Then 
Think writing down, grab a piece of paper and a pen and write down different coping mechanisms that can help. For example, I'm one to get super stressed. And when I get stressed and overwhelmed, the one thing I know that helps is having a hot shower. Now, I know this is a bit of a luxury because I work from home. If you're at work, you can't just like, hey, I'm going home to have a hot shower, BRB, be back in two hours. No, you can't do that. But if you are at work and you're getting really stressed and overwhelmed and that's when you'd go down to the cafe downstairs and purchase chocolate or whatever you usually do, what's something else you can do at work at that moment that can help? So an example could be just going uh, for a quick walk around the block. It could be just sitting at your desk, closing your eyes and thinking of yourself in a more calming place. For me, it would be the beach and try to bring your stress levels down that way. If you're at home and the kids are absolutely driving you mental, what's something you can do in replace of stress eating at that time? Could you just go sit in the bathroom and close the door for like two minutes until you feel your stress levels coming down and just try to regulate yourself that way? If you are feeling really sad and depressed and you feel like food is the only thing that will make you feel good, Maybe this could be a time, I know it probably doesn't feel like the best thing at the time, but maybe you can call a friend that you know always lifts you up and always makes you feel good. Don't have to tell them that you're feeling sad or depressed, but just call them and have a quick conversation. It might make you feel a whole lot better. There's so many different coping mechanisms you can do in replace of eating. And I always write a list down for my clients to help them, but they can always add new things to it. So just off the top of my head, some ones I can think of would be sitting down and doing some stretching, going for a quick walk around the block, having a hot shower, reading a few pages of a book, closing your eyes and just picturing yourself in a place where you want it to be. <laughs> um, almost like meditation, I guess, but I feel like meditation can be overwhelming because it makes you more stressed trying to meditate. But just think of yourself at it nicer place <laughs> uh what else could you do call a friend takes a few deep breaths just get out of the room go to another room whether you have to lock yourself in the bathroom like i said before just, there's so many different things you can do if you're bored and you find you snack and end up binging because you're bored and you have nothing better to do find a hobby find something else you can do if financial constraints stop you from finding a hobby Maybe going to Kmart and buying a puzzle could be something that's inexpensive or buying some like a painting thing from Kmart, like a little painting board and paint or buying a book or trying a new workout that you could do from home, walking the dog, rearranging your pantry or cleaning out your fridge. Just find something. I know that's not a hobby. I don't even know why I said that, but it's something you can do in a place of being bored in the morning to snack. But at the same time, then you're in your pantry. Ooh, I don't know about that recommendation anymore. Take that one with a grain of salt. <laughs> but there's so many things you can do if you are bored. And write down these things. Don't wait for when it hits to think about what you can do. Write them down now so that you know what there is you can do in replace of these these fit like in replace of food to help with these feelings. So what I'd recommend is maybe write down your main emotions you feel when you want to emotionally eat. So maybe write down stress, anxious, bored, overwhelmed, happy, whatever it is, write them all down and then write things underneath that you think would help with that. Then once you've written them all down, 
stick it on your fridge or on your pantry door so that when it happens, you can see that list because we all know that when we are feeling really stressed, we're probably in the pantry before we even realize it. So by having that list on the door, on the pantry door, it would actually remind you like, oh wait, no, I'm working on this. What can I do in replace of eating? I'm going to go down my list. What can we do? Pick an option that you think will best help you in that moment. Try it out. Try that, the, how that goes. Give yourself a couple of minutes. See how you feel. Did it work? Did it not? If not, try something else on that list. Try to figure out what thing can be your coping mechanism because we know if this is happening every single day or frequently throughout the week, you need to find another coping mechanism. Otherwise, it's going to go around in a circle. So try out other things. See what works. Now, at the same time, if it doesn't work, if nothing works and you do end up eating, don't be too hard on yourself because you're trying to change a habit. You're rewiring your brain to find a new coping mechanism. And if you've been doing this since you were a child or a teen or for 20, 30, 40 years, you're not going to just switch all of a sudden and be happy days and now you never emotionally eat. Like you've got to be realistic. If out of the seven days in a week that it happens, that three days you found something else that can help and then the four days you end up eating, that's still awesome progress. You still made huge changes. Three days out of the seven, you found something else that can help with those emotions. Whereas the week prior, every single day it happened. So this is progress. It's huge changes. So just keep working at it. Keep trying to improve. Over time, you'll get better and better and better at it. But it's also important to be realistic because everyone emotionally eats at some point in their life, whether it's once a month, once a week. I don't know. Everyone does it. So to have the expectation that you're never going to do it again is unrealistic. But if we can improve on it each week, that is great. But don't expect yourself to never do it again. Because I'm sure there'll be one time in maybe a few months time you are so stressed and you're like, I just need chocolate. And chocolate is the only thing that will make you feel better. I get it. And then you have it and you move on with your life and you continue on with your day. That's okay. That's fine. I know it sometimes it's what you need. But if it's happening every single time and there's nothing else that you're finding that is your coping mechanism, then I would recommend to really implement these steps I've just given you and see how you go. I really think it'll make a huge difference. So these are the main things I see as a nutritionist that lead to some sort of binge eating. So it's the intentional restriction of food or the unintentional restriction of food. So remember, intentional is restricting your food intake because you think it's healthier and better for you, but then it leads to you binging later on. The unintentional, so you're just eating that, I'm going to call it the standard, the standard Western diet of just like a piece of toast sandwich and not enough nutritional value. And then you get home and you're starving. That is the un- unintentional way. And then the emotional eating side of things as well. So there are three main things I see. Now, I want to give you a case study of a client I had this year. So she started with me in January and finished up with me in June. So we worked together for six months. Now, she described herself as an avid binge eater and she felt uncontrollable around food. Now, when she first saw me, she was so distressed about her binge eating. She really felt like there was some deep-rooted problem with her that was causing her to 
binge and she really thought there was going to be some massive work that needed to go into improving her binge eating. In my consultations, I always ask about a general day of eating. Most people don't remember and I always take it with a grain of salt when people tell me a general day. I know there's usually a lot more things that people are having, they just don't realize that they're having. Now, in the morning, she said she usually won't eat anything. She then would have lunch and it would either be her leftovers from the night before or a dinnerly or every plate box one of those meals you make yourself when they give all the ingredients delivered to your house she'd then have chocolate throughout the day and then dinner she would have another every plate box and she would also be snacking and eating while she's cooking food now from this what do you think is the thing that's causing her to binge eat So remember, she's not eating anything in the morning. She's having lunch. She's having chocolate throughout the day. And then she's having dinner. It's the unintentional restriction of food. She's not having her breakfast. She's not having any snacks, proper snacks in between her meals. And then she's getting home and she's binging. It's clear that it's because she's not eating enough food during the day and it's causing her to binge. On top of that, she's an active person. Three mornings a week, she's doing a 45-minute boot camp. She's going for runs on the weekend. She's walking her dog every single day. She's an active person and that's all she's eating. No wonder why she's binging once she gets home. So we worked on this for a good six months, like I said. I said we need to be more consistent with their eating and then see how we go. Um... We obviously incorporated breakfast, we incorporated snacks, lunches, dinners, and we also had dessert just to make sure she had something sweet to finish her day off on because I know it helps with not feeling so restrictive because her goal was also to help with weight loss as well. She still wanted to lose weight. So I did have to factor that in too. And I think dessert just really helps with that. Anyway, as the months were going on, her binge eating pretty much stopped from the start, but she was just waiting for it to happen again and waiting and waiting and waiting. We got to six months and she still hadn't binged for six months. This is something she had been dealing with for years. She thought she had a deep rooted problem, but after fixing up her diet, adding more food in, adding more variety in, she ended up stopping binge eating. I just think this is just such a huge, huge accomplishment. And I'm so, so proud of her. One for reaching out to me, because that is the hardest thing to do is actually reach out to me. I'm not scary by any sense. I think I'm a nice person, but it is scary because you think you have to do some huge change to be able to see results, but you don't. And a lot of the times my clients say, this was a whole lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And mostly it's because they've done some sort of restrictive diet in the past. So I think it's going to be the same with me. It's not. I make it so much easier just eating real normal foods like, you know, chicken skewers, salmon and potatoes and veg, just real basic food, normal food, soups, burgers, pizzas on the weekend, taco bowls, just normal, normal stuff. Anyway, added all that in. Her binging stopped and in June we had our follow-up and she said, Sam, I don't need you anymore. (laughs) And I'm like, oofed, cut deep. But I knew that was because of a a good thing. She's like, I don't need you. I don't, I feel good. I'm not binging anymore. My weight loss is trending in the right direction and I don't need to see you anymore. And honestly, as sad as it was for me, because I genuinely feel like I build up good relationships with my clients after seeing, even if I see them for like 30 minutes a month, I feel like in that 30 minutes we get to know each other so well. And not that we become friends, but it's almost just like talking to a friend. It's almost like I've lost a friend. (laughs) It's not about me, I know. But still, like 
you get so close with my clients and then they don't need you anymore and they don't need to see you. And as it makes me so happy because I know that they're in the right place to move forward with their life. And I know I've helped them improve their health and improve their lifestyle, improve their mental health around food as well. Makes me so, so happy. So in six months, she went from thinking she was, you know, had this really deep problem that needed to be fixed to just eating more food. And then all of a sudden it's fixed crazy, but it worked for her. And I'm just so happy for her. So that's a little case study for her. Oh my gosh, this episode 47 minutes in. All right. Well, we best um, go through the questions from the question box I put up on my Instagram. So before I record these podcasts, I put up a question box so you can get any of your questions answered. Now I had a question from a client, past client actually. She goes, what foods help keep you satisfied while pregnant? I feel like I'm always hungry, crying face. I would recommend to make sure you are eating enough food throughout the day. Are you eating enough of the right kinds of foods? So are you having your protein? Are you having lots of fiber in your diet? Are you having carbohydrates? Are you having set snacks in between your meals? Because if you're just like, I'm so hungry, but I'm eating a couple of Tim Tams in between my my breakfast and my lunch, that's not a satisfying snack. Have a better quality snack. Are you getting enough protein in? So if you're not getting enough protein in, this could be a really big reason as to why you're feeling so hungry because your appetite's increased because you're growing a baby. You need to make sure you are having enough protein in because protein is so satiating alongside having enough vegetables as well. Make sure your snacks are better quality as well. So protein, fiber, carbohydrates, make sure you balance snacks. If you are still really hungry, eat more. You're growing a baby. You need to eat to grow a baby. So make sure you are eating enough food. If you have calorie tracked previously, remember that this is different now. You need to be increasing your food. And it depends on your trimester urine as well as to how much food is the recommended amount. In general, it's just a guideline because you're pregnant. You need to be able to fuel yourself adequately. Um, If you're finding your weight gain is increasing rapidly and it's not the weight gain from a baby, then maybe it's because you are eating too much of the wrong foods and that's, and then you're feeling hungry, but your weight's still going up. So you're probably eating high calorie, low nutritional foods. If you're struggling with this, I would recommend booking a consult. We can look at your diet and see where we can make improvements. All right. So this is the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are interested in working with me, improving your health, improving your lifestyle, please book in a consultation with me via the link in my bio or send me a message on Instagram at nutrition underscore by Samantha. Otherwise, tune in next Thursday for next episode. I really hope you have enjoyed it and I really hope you got value out of this one. I really enjoyed recording these podcasts. I always enjoy recording them and I really hope you find value and improve your health and your lifestyle out of these podcasts. That's my goal for this potty. Have a lovely, lovely day. Enjoy your day. Eat a well-balanced meal. Drink your water and we'll talk again next time. Bye.